0: This. Okay. We've read the Ten Commandments uh, in the week's parsha Torah reading, and we come across there the <coughs> central concept of the Shabbat of Sabbath. And there's a there's a question that we we can ask, which we can use to bring out a fundamental point in. In Torah and in understanding the world altogether, the world of spirit and the um, Torah pathway, which is as follows. I mean, I'd like to deal with a specific question, but we try to try to broaden it and see if we can see if we can take in more. The specific question is that. You know, the laws of Shabbos, the laws of the Shabbat, involve a desisting from creative activity. Right? Are, you, are we together on that? The way, we, the way we keep Shabbos is by not doing certain activities. That itself is remarkable. Why should that be a celebration of, of Shabbos? In, in what way? is simply not doing certain creative actions. A building of Shabbat. You know, perhaps the best way to, to approach it is the wrong way. Huh? By negating the wrong, the wrong approach. The wrong approach is that Shabbat is a day of rest. Which means you shouldn't work, or work hard, or exert yourself in any way. That's really not a Jewish idea. Certainly not a central idea. The idea of Shabbat... It's not that you don't work hard, technically speaking, you could technically speaking, you could exercise to an extreme degree on Shabbat until you were exhausted. There are various peripheral reasons why we why we don't do that, but that's not of essence. Of essence in Shabbas, in Shabbat, is not exertion, but creative activity, what we call malachas. Thirty nine specific Torah mandated creative activities. The word the, the Hebrew word melacha actually doesn't mean work at all, right? The word, if you wanted to choose a word indicating work, you would say something like avodah, which indicates movement against resistance. But the word melakha simply means a... That's the best way to indicate this, is the same root in Hebrew means an angel. A malach in Hebrew means an angel. What what does that have in common with the word melakha? What's a melakha got to do with a malach? But the concept is this, that an angel is an emanation of purpose. Right, an angel, a malach, is simply a is a shliach. That means he's an, he's an uh, he is sent, as it were. That's a being or a spiritual force that is that has a mandate. It's sent to do something to affect some, something in the world to effect something in the world. A malachah, similarly is something that affects effect, a change in the world. affects a change in the world. It's got nothing to do with how hard it is. Striking one match on Shabbos is very little exertion, but it's one of the thirty nine categorical, you not know, classical desecrations of Shabbos. The final hammer blow, the 39th of the malachas, is known as makibha patish, which is the final the final hammer blow, right? When you put the finishing touch, you say, in English, you say the finishing touch. Now, even though that activity may be just one small increment in the process that is taking place until then, but it's unique because it has a spiritual uniqueness, a philosophical uniqueness. It's the finishing the finishing touch. It's got nothing to do with exertion. It's the notion that yeah, it may be putting shoes, laces in shoes for the first time. That's all. That is a categorical breaking of Shabbos. Because you now rendered them useful shoes for the first time. Or pulling a tailor's thread out of the finished garbage. Right, so it's now wearable. There's nothing to do here with effort. Is this his concept? Are we okay? Are we together? There are a lot of stages here to work through. So, you look Immensely ready for. But let's see if we can do some creative activity here together. The notion is not that there's work involved, the notion is that something's being built. And the way you keep Shabbos is just by, just as the week is built or constructed by its creativity, Shabbos is kept or constructed by desisting from that creativity. The way you do Shabbos is by simply by stopping. The sanctity, that means the new space that you enter on Shabbos. Some sources indicate that Shabbos is like a temple, like a sanctuary in time. Just like the Besom Mikdash. the temple is a sanctuary in space. That's a hallowed area. Shabbos is a time zone that is... That's why you conduct yourself accordingly on Shabbos. You shouldn't run, for example. On Shabbos, you shouldn't run. It's not fitting the dignity of the of, of the time space. And wear special clothes on Shabbos. It's particularly careful with speech, for example, not to talk about any... Sun, uh, secular, mundane, some some people speak only Hebrew on Shabbos. But that time zone is carved out of the mundane existence simply by not doing those activities, by the prohibition of those same activities that build the world. The source of this is that those 39 actions were the ones that were used, necessary to build the Mishkan. The sanctuary, the tabernacle, whatever you want to call it, the Mishkan in the desert, which was the precursor of the temple, the Beit that was built later, that sanctified space, that small tent of meeting, was built by thirty-nine constructive activities. Fire needed to be struck; certain construction elements, building, demolishing, in order to build, writing—all the thirty-nine creative activities were necessary in order to build that Mishkan. And just as that sanctified place was built by those thirty-nine, Shabbos is is taught by the by the by the desisting from those 39 activities. Kabbalistically, those are the 39 activities that were used to build the universe. That means the sanctuary that is the world at the higher level was built by those 39 activities emanating from the divine source. That built the world. The microcosm of that is human beings using those same 39 energies to build a sanctified space in microcosm form in the world. And Hashem, God Himself, kept Shabbos, as it were, created Shabbos, simply by arriving at the endpoint of creation. Six days of creating using these 39 activities, and then at the transition of sundown, Friday afternoon, Arab Shabbos, into Shabbos, He desisted from those activities, there having been complete. That's how Shabbos is built. So the parallel is that in the cosmic world, Shabbos, Shabbat, is constructed by the endpoint of the building, the creation, and the movement in the phase of rest or completion, and the microcosmic reflection of that is that the Mishkan is built on earth by the same creative activities and we learn the laws of Shabbos from there. So far, so good? Take out of your head any concept of effort and exertion that's a completely peripheral non-Jewish... Uh, that's, not the, that's not the spiritual idea. Now, we've, we, we, we've understood together that the divine energy, that means the, 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 the creative activities or energies in the world, that build the world are parallel to our activities that build our world and his stopping is what builds Shabbos and we keep Shabbos in parallel by our stopping from those activities now here comes the next step in general he keeps his own laws you know that principle the Gemara says that God himself Hashem himself obeys the laws of his Torah he himself binds himself by his own laws to an extreme degree for example it says he wears tefillin a man has to wear tefillin on his head Hashem wears tefillin now, the deep, deep ideas these what's written in his tefillin what's written in ours that Hashem is one what's written in his is that Jewish people are one ours contain praise of him his contains praise of us but he keeps his own mitzvahs how far does this go? the says says in Talmud says in Brochus he prays he davens God himself prays Hashem himself davens Tefillah. Yeah. to whom? And what does he ask for? It's not the time to go into that there's not the time to go into that particular question. But that's how far it goes. You look it up you look up in the Gemara and Dabzain the Gemara there talks about his tefillah and the Gemara asks that question "My matzle, what does he pray for? What does he ask? Who do you have to speak about that. Wonderful subject. Perhaps some time we'll come back to that. But he keeps his own mitzvahs. And therefore, he keeps Shabbos. But not only does he keep Shabbos, the way he keeps Shabbos is the derivation. After all, it says that there were six days of creation. What could be clearer? Va'yinavash, And he rested. Right? And that's when Shabbos was created. The Shabbos comes into existence. The first Shabbos on earth is the seventh day of creation. And it's created by his ending the process of creation, and Shabbos begins. So explicitly, we have from every side the fact that he keeps Shabbos. Now here comes the... So are we together? Now there's a great mystery here. Uh, I'm sure you're on the verge of it. You're, I'm sure you've already identified it. I'm sure you have. You're just sitting there looking blank out of modesty, I'm sure. <laughs> but the mystery is this. Think it through with me. The world is created, emanates into existence from his own being, right? To the extent that the way the Nebuchadnezzar Chaim puts it is, That Hashem creates the world all the time. You know, there's no difference, Kabbalistically, between the first moment of creation that brought the world into existence and every subsequent second of creation. (laughs) Hashem Himself renews the creation always, every day, the acts of creation. It always means every second, microsecond, millisecond. That's not the point. The point is that at every unit of time, at its most infinitesimal level, the world is brought into existence again. The way the Nebuchadnezzar puts it is that Hashem creates the world by emanating his existence into it. Actually it exists within him, but its existence is derived of his existence in such a way that unlike a human creation, which is the kind of a thing that when you make and you walk away from the thing remains. If you build a, a house of wood and you walk away from it, stop your creative input, the thing remains. Hashem, if he walked away from his creation, the thing would cease to be. Because it is nothing other than emanation of his own existence. At the deepest Kabbalistic level, we have aenoid milval, there's nothing besides him. There is nothing besides him. So when Hashem creates a world, he emanates his existence into it at all times. He could not leave it on its own and walk away from it. If he did, it would instantaneously collapse. It is nothing other than the energy infused into it by his own creation. And therefore, he keeps the world going at all times. Right? Every day, all the time, consistently, the world brought into existence as it was at the first moment by His own creation. And therefore, He does that on Shabbos too. Can you see the problem? How does He create the world on Shabbat if He keeps Shabbos by stopping creation? If there ever was a contradiction, this has to be it. Do you see the problem? Again, again, again. Let's get it. You're not going to enjoy the answer, okay? Unless you hear the question. You hear the question well. The world could not exist unless He created at every moment. Okay? So on Shabbos it has to exist too by His creation. But we are taught that Shabbos comes into existence by His stopping creation. But the world doesn't disappear on Shabbos. And the Nebuchadnezzar says clearly that if He would stop creating for a moment, the world would disappear. So obviously on Shabbos He's creating in every way. In every sense as intensely as He creates it during the week. I wouldn't be here otherwise. You notice that the physical world looks the same on Shabbos. So how, you hear the problem, how is he keeping the world going on Shabbos, if by definition he stops his creation on Shabbos? He obviously doesn't, so how does he keep his own laws? You know, if you want to put this into a childish, a childish version of the question, children sometimes say, why does it rain on Shabbat? Sometimes it rains on Shabbos. Raining is a divine watering of the plants watering things that grow is one of the malachas on Shabbos. You, you're not allowed to do that. There's a spiritual death consequence if you break Shabbos like that by watering things that grow. I mean, it's just one example of a... That's not the real... The real issue is how creation continues on Shabbos. But if you're a child, your mind would grasp it. But if it rains, and he's definitely doing that on the contrary, for a child, that's a good question. For a child, it's a very good question. Because... There are three things the Talmud says that Hashem does personally, not through any indirect emanation. There are three things that He does Himself. You know that? He holds the keys to three things Himself. What are those? The opening of the womb when a child is born, that's not, the, not through any indirect agency. The opening of the grave, the resurrection of the dead. Actually, the womb is called the grave in Kabbalist, in halachic writings. And the third is the falling of rain. When rain falls, it's not done through any angelic intermediary. There's no... He does it himself. He holds the key himself. Needs discussion why exactly and how, but that's what he does. So if the rain falls on Shabbos, he can't even get away with telling me that he, you know, delegates it to a non-Jewish authority. You know, inanimate, a a time machine. You hear the problem? Are are we together? Are we... So that's the question. How does, it, how does the world continue on Shabbos? The sun, you know, the sun is... is burns. The world... The th- by definition, the same 39 activities that created the world originally are keeping it... Are, are, are every moment bringing it into existence again. Okay, it's a fundamental question. But while we're asking that question, let's just include a couple of others, although that will be the focus, and I think will bring us closest... But there are many other side issues too and I'm not sure we'll get time to deal with them explicitly, but I hope they will be answered as well by this line of thinking. You know, Shabbos, it's axiomatic that Shabbos is virtually synonymous with, with Judaism. You know that a common expression for a person who is a Torah Jew, an observant person is a shomer Shabbos, somebody who keeps Shabbos. There are 612 other mitzvahs in the Torah. Right? There are 612 other mitzvahs in the Torah. Why is a person who keeps Shabbos synonymous with a person? The person who breaks Shabbos publicly is almost that's the definition of a non-observant or a, a, a Jew antithetical to Torah. Why is it that, why is it that Shabbos sums up what, what a Jew is or what Torah is? Why is that fundamental? Why? And why is Shabbos kept? Why is it built by simply not doing something that's normally done? What does that mean too? There's something very, very basic here. Very fundamental. A fantastic idea to discover and to explore. And let's see if we can begin to do it justice. The Gon of Illness says, in a very cryptic way, as follows, and there's a classic exposition of this idea by Rav Huttner in Pachad Yitzchak, which is the classic and perhaps definitive, definitive, uh, the definite, definitive approach to this question. So let's try and build it. The Gon says like this, that the world is kept going on Shabbos, because the activity that's necessary to keep it, the creation that's necessary to keep it in existence on Shabbos, is prepared on Friday. What does that mean? It's prepared from yesterday. What does that mean? How does that deal with our... What does that... So, Putin explains as follows. You need to look it up yourself. It's a lengthy piece. We won't have time this evening to, to, to go through it in, in all its detail. There's many other ramifications. But on this particular idea, he says as follows. Now, we're going to have to explore a halakhic area in order to understand this. We're going to have to share together halachic area underlying a fundamental point in the laws of Shabbat and fundamental in everything else, literally. But it's going to take concentration and if you're not familiar with these ideas and particularly if you have a wrong preconception you think that Shabbos is a stopping of work in some way it would be very difficult to grasp. So let's try and put away preconceptions and let's try to understand. In the laws of Shabbos you have a concept, in fact, the general concept runs throughout Torah, that the areas that Torah deals with, and in fact that the world the world deals with altogether, <coughs> always fall into two categories. And they are a harmony. They, they constitute a, a pair, harmonious pair, each of which needs the other. In, this, in the most uh, nuclear expression of this, in the most <coughs> perhaps tight or compressed, Essential expression of this, we call it ikar and tafel. Ikar and tafel. Ikar means of essence, of root, and tafel means subsidiary or ancillary or peripheral. Okay, secondary. You have the thing that is primary, and the thing that is. Yeah. Just to give it a bit of a picture for for the beginning of this discussion, if a person uses a vehicle to get someplace, then you have a partnership between two elements. There's the person who needs to travel. And the vehicle that he uses to get him there. The person and his journey is Ica. And the vehicle is tafel, Right? The person is primary and, and and essential. The vehicle is secondary and subservient or ancillary. Okay? It's also essential because he couldn't get there without it. Make no mistake. But it's not the thing itself. It's it, it, it necessary temporarily and then it's divested exactly like your body and your soul. Body and soul, or in Kabbalistic terms, the lights and the vessels. If you're interested in that particular way of approaching things. The lights are the inner content, they are the revelation of reality, of essence, that's why it's always called light in Kabbalistic thinking. And then there's the vessel that holds the light. That is exactly the model of body and soul. The neshama inside, neshama is based on the Hebrew word sham, Sham means destination. It means there. It means name, which is a description of essence. And the body is the vehicle. Which is essence? I mean, the world has confused it, of course. No accident. The world has confused it. The world thinks that the soul is only there to animate the body, so the body can have a good time. Well, that's, that's anathema to Jewish thinking. The essence is soul. The body is only the vehicle that carries it to its destination and discard it. But the world is built, and much more thought needs to be put into this, the world is built on two interrelated dimensions. Ika and Toffel. Okay, so far, so good. Now in Halacha, in Jewish law, you have the same two ideas expressed. But the harmony, the dance, the delicate dance between these two in Jewish law and Halacha, is such that wherever, listen carefully, wherever Ika and Toffel get together, the Toffel disappears. Where Ika and Toffel get together, that which is secondary or subservient disappears. It melts into oneness with the Ika and becomes Ika. Right? It then reveals at that moment that it was only a secondary subject subsup- You see, the depth of this, as you try to explore as deeply as we can, the depth of it is that when the secondary does its job in a completely loyal fashion, it becomes part of the primary. Because, in as much as it's necessary for the essence, so it, it, to that extent it becomes essence. The, the, the place you clearly see the distinction between essence and, and secondary is when it, it's disloyal, when it becomes disloyal and pulls away. On the contrary, the, the worst example is when the, where the, where the vehicle becomes disloyal and then uses the essence to drive it for its immoral and disloyal purpose. That's when you see the schism most clearly. But when they're functioning perfectly, when the secondary is only secondary, and it's only subservient and assisting, they're not noticed at all. Because it's a complete... The, the, uh, the Masilis Sharm says that at the highest of ten levels of spiritual growth, eh, close to the top, is a level where the physical and the finite become a tool so holy, so sanctified, that they form nothing other than a substrate for the Kedusha. The person who reaches such a level when he eats, right, the person who reaches such a level is eating, becomes a becomes the, the vehicle only for what's happening within. Right? The eating has none of its own importance. Listen carefully, it's an amazing thing. The eating, right? The the physical activities of the body of a righteous individual They are a a vehicle or a substrate, a framework, for what's really happening, which is the higher world, the world of Kedusha. You know, the Hasidim have a custom called a tish. Hasidim have a custom called a tish. Tish means a table. The custom consists of going to visit the Rebbe while he sits at his table and eats. They watch him eat. In some customs, he may say a few words, often does. In some customs, the Hasidim also eat a little. Sometimes he hands out from what he has tasted, hands out, shiraim. But the essence is to watch, to sit and watch the Rebbe eat. What's the meaning of this custom? But there's a tremendous depth here. The meaning is that to go and see a man of great spirituality teach spiritual material, that's what you expect. Yeah? But to go and see him use his body and look like, to hear him talk divrei Torah, to hear a Tzaddik, a great righteous individual, great in Torah, speak words of Torah and look angelic, is what you expect, but to see him eat food, which is what a host does, and look like an angel, that's something special. The lesson here, a deep lesson here, the lesson is to see him do spirituality, to see him rise above the physical, even in a trans, completely transcendent, even miraculous fashion, is perfectly fitting. Perfectly fitting. That's easy. But what's not easy is to do that which your host does and look like an angel. And therefore, in, in some of the customs, they do nothing other than what you eat. Because there's a deeper lesson there. Are, are we together? And therefore, at a high level, stay with me carefully, at a high level, the body becomes the vehicle right, on which rides the Kedusha, and there's no conflict that becomes a perfectly harmonious and loyal vehicle. But there's a higher level. That's the tenth of the levels. And that's where the body itself becomes holy. They achieve such a harmony, right? In a, in a, in a perfect marriage, this can also be done. And in the perfect marriage in the mind of the faculties it can also be done. But an individual can reach a level where the inner Kedusha, the sanctity of purpose becomes so harmonized with the body that is the vehicle that the not only one is a loyal carrier of the other, but they both get elevated to the status of Kedusha. And this incident is the deep reason why in the future world the body will also exist. In Trias Amesim the world of the resurrection, the body will also, you may well ask, who is the body if you discard it like an old coat? when you get to the end of the winter. If you exit it like an old vehicle when you get to the end of the journey, why did it... But at the highest level, the body... The deep reason, of course, is that there's nothing that's wasted that is only temporary in the world. Everything in the world is of essence. But in terms of our discussion this evening, the reason that the body will always be is because at the... Yeah? Are we getting somewhere? At that level, the body ceases to exist. Or, if you like, becomes real. But it doesn't matter. It becomes one with essence. Both body and the Shamadin then... Yeah, become part of essence. The tophel has become Ica. Why? Because it is so subservient that it's lost its identity and at that moment it becomes part of essence. Are we getting something? Let's apply this in the laws of Shabbos. Let's, let me show you how it works. Again, no preconceptions, okay? No secular notions and preconceptions. Let's study it pure. Let's try and understand. Let's say you're doing an activity on Shabbos like carrying. Let's you carry. One of the forbidden activities on Shabbos is carrying, huh? carrying from one domain to another, from yachid. Let's say from a private domain to a public domain. I'm going to go into definitions of what constitutes each of these domains right now. You carry from a private domain to a public, right, from your house to the street under certain conditions. You transgress Shabbos in one of the thirty-nine. In fact, the first malacha that the Gemara begins discussing, because it's somewhat unusual, is this particular creative... What's unusual about it is it's hard to see the creativity. When you strike a match, or you build, or you write, or you sew, or you stitch, one can see the creative element. Carrying an object from one domain to another is difficult to see the creativity, and that's why the Gemara starts with it. But it doesn't matter for now. The point is that carrying an object from one domain to another is chayef. That means obligated, breaking the laws of Shabbat, strictly speaking, a death penalty for that, Right? and if it's not technically done where death penalty can be executed which of course we can't do today it's enormously damaging spiritually it means a spiritual death break shabbos, is your breaking essence severing your connection with the spiritual world how is that transgression done? you carry an object from one domain to another you pick up an object and you pick up an olive in your house and you walk out into the street and you stop, that's all now how big an object do you have to carry? So it has to be, like all halachic areas, what's called a shir. A shir means it has to be a statutory amount, right? If you steal, for example, in Jewish law, under a pruta is not actionable. A pruta is more or less a penny. It's not actionable, right? That's the shir. If you eat on Yom Kippur, there's a certain amount you have to eat to transgress the Torah law. Right? If you eat meat and milk together, there's a certain amount you have to eat. In many eating areas, it's the size of an olive. What's called a kazais. That amount. How much matzah do you have to eat on Pesach to fulfill the law? A kazais. Right? Two thirds, three quarters of a matzah compressed. Is that little shear amount. If you carry out, if you carry out a shear from your house to the street, you break Shabbos. So far, so good. If you carry out less than a shear, see, so it did not break Shabbos. It's not allowed, and there's good reasons not to do it, and it's a lengthy discussion halachically exactly what status that has. But technically, you need to, yeah, you need to, you need to get to what in English you'd call a critical mass. Okay, quantum mechanics. By the way, quantum mechanics. By the way, is probably based on this halacha. Okay, if you have any background in physics, but that's a discussion for another time. The world is discrete. You know that the world is not continuous; it's discrete. You know that energy levels in the world are discrete quanta. Remarkable thing. Sheer. Everything has a shear. That's a stupendous insight. But. If you carry out half an olive, or an insignificant amount, non-usable or not, then, but more than that, you hive. Okay, now, next step. Are we, are we getting somewhere? Next step. Let's say you carry out a big object. Let's say you carry out a big pot. A big pot. Yeah, from your house to the street. Are you chay? Did you break Shabbos? No question about it. Now, let's say you carry out a pot only for the purpose of what it contains now let's say you got food and you put the food in the pot and you carry it out to the street are you chai, did you break Shabbos? 100% 100% why? because you carried the food out did you carry the pot? <coughs> well the pot's toffle isn't it? it's only there as a substrate in order a vehicle in order because you can't carry soup otherwise Right? so if you carry enough soup out into the street or to your neighbor's house or whatever it was so then you needed something to carry it with but you didn't want the pot did you? You only needed something to carry the soup. So it disappears, a vessel disappears in the essence that it's used for. How far does this go? What happens if you carry half an olive from your house to the street in a big pot? Amazingly, the law is, you're exempt. (laughs) But listen, you hear the halachic logic? Again, it's not allowed. Don't do it next Shabbos, okay? It's not allowed. Very good reason why you shouldn't do it. But I I want you to hear the the reasoning. The reasoning is this, what is the big pot there for? Only for the contents. And the contents are insignificant. So what did you do? The pot You only carried this big pot out in order to carry your miserable half an olive, right? Correct? That's uh, the reason you did it. But the thing itself is insignificant. So the vehicle that carries it melts into insignificance. And it's considered nothing. We're not talking about whether it's heavy or it's an effort that's got nothing to do with Shabbos. We're talking about whether it's a valid creative activity to qualify for the laws of Shabbos. And it's not. Because the rule is Toffel disappears in Ikkar. The, the insignificant, the ancillary takes its definition by the Ikkar, And if the Ikkar happens to be nothing, it's nothing too. So far, so good? Now, next step. And can you see that this is the whole world? This is not a tech. There's nothing in the, in the Torah that's a technicality. Everything in Torah is essence, it has cosmic meaning. This law in the Torah, the whole world is built on this law. There's a lot of technicality whether you can do this on Shabbos or you can't do it. Incidentally, there's a life and death in that too. And that's why there's life and death here, because this goes to the root of the universe where life comes from. And the whole of Torah is like that. But let's, let's try and understand this a bit more thoroughly. The world is built out of Tafel and Iker and Top. There's the main thing. And then there's its vehicle or its note take as it's called, its 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 cloak, or the body to the soul, or the world of physical to the world of spirit, or the vessels to the lights. That's what it is. It's the left hand to the right hand also. Now the six days of creation work like this. Now, slowly, carefully, wonderful to understand. Let's try and let's try and clarify. The six days of creation work like this. What creates the six days? Ten sayings of creation, right? What we call it as, Asara Ma right? Asara, ten sayings of creation. Let there be light, actually according to the Talmud, the first one is Broshis, that means in the beginning, which isn't even a statement, it's just a point of beginning. The second one is let there be light, according to the Zohar, That's the first one. Doesn't matter, there are ten sayings of creation. Each of them creates another spiritual emanation, another one of the spheres of spiritual, and, and finally physical existence. In the six days of creation, all of those ten sayings bring the world into existence. Which world? Physical world. Look throughout the six days of creation, you will not find mentioned the Indian of Kedusha, the matter of sanctity. Right? You will not find it says anywhere that anything was hallowed or holy or transcendent or spiritual. Not explicitly. The world, the physical world is created with ten steps that emanated out into its physical existence. What was created on Shabbos? The first Shabbos, what was created, was the world of Kedusha, the world of Spirit, the world of Sanctity. What we call Tachlis. Right? Shabbos is the soul of the creation. It's created by no means other than simply stopping the other ten. After all, how do you get to a destination? You just stop the journey, don't you? If your destination is the end of the journey, then wherever you get to at the end... We're talking here not about a destination that pre-exists, you understand? We're not talking about a particular place. If you stop halfway, you didn't get to the destination. We're talking about a journey that makes its destination like life. Who are you at the end of your life? What your journey has brought you to? Are, are we making sense? So wherever you end your life, that is your destination. Why is that your destination? Because that's where you got to. How do you reach the destination? You simply stop traveling. Because then you are. So when the world stops being built, Shabbos results. Why? Because Tachlis means end point, And end point or result is the end point of the process. When the last hammer blow is put to the, to the vessel, the last lick of paint, the finishing touch, even though it's no more significant than the previous lick of paint, but it's the last one now. So now the vessel's complete. So how is the completeness of the vessel manifest? By the stopping of the creative process. And that moment you have a new, amazing, at the moment when you stop the creation, you have created something new. Completion. Bar Shabbos, Bar Manukha. When Shabbos was created, rest was created. What do you mean rest was created? How did you create rest? Tachlis, end point, result. By stopping process. It's not one leads to the other. The one is the other. Shabbos is the soul of the world. Because the soul of the world is the Ikkar. The Ikkar is where you're getting to. On Shabbos, what is created... The way it's put is like this. On the week, d- during the weekday, what's happening is ten sayings of creation. What Shabbos brings in is ten commandments. Why? Because the soul of the ten sayings of creation are the ten commandments. Inside each of the ten sayings lives the spiritual soul that is called the command. Do you think it's accidental that they're ten and ten? All the tens in Torah parallel. So the ten sayings of creation, each one builds a bodily element, an organ of the world, a limb of the world. That part of the physical universe. The commandment that corresponds puts a soul into that thing. I mean, we don't have time to go through them all now. Let's take the first one, for example. The first of the sayings of creation is in the beginning. What is that? It's a statement of the existence. It it isn't even a saying. The second one is let there be. Because now there's someone to speak to. But before you have anyone to speak to, you have to simply... Create the system. Again, why is the first of the sayings of creation bereshis, in the beginning? That's not a saying. And the answer is, you can't say until, until there's somebody to hear. First you have to establish the existence of the, of the framework. Then you can begin to move it. And therefore bereshis, is unlike all the others, is not phrased as a creative statement. It's simply the beginning of essence itself. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? I am Hashem. And notice that it's not phrased as a commandment. I mean, you should be jumping up and down. These are amazing things. You're English, that's the problem, right? I'm getting used to it. Look, the first of the Ten Commandments is not a thou shalt or thou shalt not. The rest are all do this and don't do that. Guard this, keep that, right? Do or don't. But the first of the ten commandments is simply Hashem I am your God. What's the commandment? The commandment is belief in Hashem. But you can't command until there's someone to be commanded. The first of the ten commandments is a statement of who He is. The implication is that we now have a relationship, and you are obliged to relate to me, etc., etc. And therefore, the name of the first commandment is Emunah, faith. Correctly translated, ha. Ha. which is not what we're going to do now, but. Can you see how they parallel? The first of the sayings of creation, the establishment of the thing itself. The first to take a moment, the soul within that, which is Hashem's essence in the world. That says it all. And so it goes on. So you have a week which is creating. Ten, the ten sayings during the week of creation are simply creating the framework. And Shabbos, right? When was the Torah given? On which day of the week? On Shabbos. And what does it say? What was the purpose of the ten sayings that created the world? The Torah that would be given that would give it life. If it wouldn't be for my covenant which is his covenant covenant, Torah the word bris incidentally adds up to 612. Bris is the same number as Torah. 613 commandments in Torah, right? There's one missing because bris you know that the thing has its own essence which is its own completion which adds one always. If it wouldn't be for my covenant, meaning Torah, day and night, I would not have established the laws of physics and chemistry and science in the world. Namely, the ten sayings of creation. The Abish says that if there be one second in the world's history where no Jew is learning Torah, imagine a second of history, a particular moment of time, where everybody's either sleeping or eating or taking a break. Or, in that instant, the world would cease to exist. He doesn't mean it metaphorically, he means it literally. Some have even said that the reason that you have night and day around the planet at different times is always a Jew somewhere learning Torah. Different schedules and enough people to ensure. Because if no Jew were learning Torah, for one instant the world would disappear. Why? Because when you pull the plug for an instant, the lights go out. If the Neshama leaves, the person dies. Torah is in the world like the soul is in the body. The Ten Commandments, which are the root of Torah, are the ten vital elements that are in the Ten Sayings of Creation. And as long as they're in, the world's alive. Where is Torah in the world? People learning. person learns Torah, incorporating in his his or her heart or mind the essence of Torah. So that statement is literal. If it would not be for my covenant day and night, I would never have established the laws of heaven and earth. It's not poetry. It happens to be poetry too. But it means if there would not be Torah then laws of heaven and earth, why? Because the laws of heaven and earth incorporated in the ten sayings were there only for the spiritual essence. The body is only there to be alive. The corpse is useless. The point of being a human being is not to be a dead body. The point of being a human being is to be a live body. That the vehicle of the body carries the a shaman. Okay, next step. How are we doing? On Shabbos, the ten creative activities continue the rain falls, the sun shines, He emanates existence into the world. But on Shabbos, the ten sages of creation are there only to carry the essence. And when that happens, they disappear as independent entities. They are not. Shabbos, the physical world, is the pot carrying the essence. Yet During the week, we, all you have is physical activity, so that's what you're carrying, that's the activity. But on Shabbos, when the ikka gets put in, when the soul gets put in, On Shabbos, when Torah comes into the world where the soul is born, so on Shabbos what happens is all those activities continue. But since this is the day when essence is manifest, since Torah, yeah, and how does it manifest? By stopping those activities. Meaning that on Shabbos what happens is those activities in the world retain, they continue. But they're now the vehicle for a Kedusha. As soon as Kedusha comes in, the the, the vehicle itself disappears. It melts into the essence, becomes one with it. And just as halachically you are not obliged for taking a vehicle that carries contents when the contents are not prohibited, because the vehicle is only part of the contents. Similarly on Shabbos, the laws... Are we getting somewhere? On Shabbos, the laws of creation that truly do continue. But since on Shabbos they are only the vehicle for an essence which is Kedusha, so then they are not a transgression of the laws of Shabbos. In, In summary, He keeps creating the world on Shabbos. No question about that. The rain falls, He creates the world. But on Shabbos the difference is that it's now only a vehicle for an essence and when that's done at the highest level it becomes part of essence and just as there's no halachic transgression here which means there's no meaning to this activity in Torah terms regardless of whether it looks like an activity or doesn't or is hard or not it disappears. What's the message? The message for us obviously is that not to get confused, not to get confused. The tofel the secondary, is always speaking louder than the essence. And the body speaks louder, more naturally than the soul does. The soul is very, the neshama is easily quieted. You know, the word neshama in Hebrew means soul, neshama. It also means complete destruction and wasteland. Shmama in Hebrew, heishamu means they were destroyed and annihilated. It means annihilation, the same root. When the neshama is essence and destination. But when it's not, it's completely annihilated by the, the vehicle. On the contrary, it becomes locked in the service of the vehicle to the extent that it becomes tough and disappears. That's the human battle. That is the problem. The problem is, what are you here for? Are you here for your soul to keep fussing about your body? Or are you here for your body to be disciplined into a tool that completely disappears in its condition? And that's what Shabbos teaches. Shabbos is not a day of rest. Shabbos is a day of ikka when the topple becomes Ica. Right? When the two melt into one. You know, there are many ways, uh, i keep you late, there's many ways to see it. Now, one of the ways is that, um, one of the ways is, As follows. <coughs> Many ways to approach it. I'll share with you one beautiful example. You know, on Shabbos morning we say this. Again, you can think of your own ways of demonstrating this, I'm sure. But I'll share with you one particularly beautiful one. Listen to this. You know, on Shabbos morning, on Shabbat and Chag in Yom we, we include in the tefillah, in the davening, right, Shabbos morning, an extra prayer. Yeah, and there's one unique thing we have, which is called Nishmas. Nishmas kol Chai tevarecha, shimcha, the soul of everything that lives will bless and praise your name. And ra- the, in the old Sidurim, the anglicized ones, they to say, this is a, mo- a uniquely beautiful part of the liturgy. It's very, very poetically expressive. But obviously we're looking for something deeper here. It says this, this is Nishmas, right? Before you get to the end of Sukkot zimra, you say this. This is essential, by the way. Other things, if you come late, which I'm sure you never do, if you come late to Davening and you have to skip other parts of zimra, you can do that. This you can't skip. This is one of the essential elements. And it's said on Shabbat and Chag. And you right? So on Shabbat he says, Nishmas Kol Chai. Now in this incredible, very, very beautiful and evocative description, there's a logical problem. Listen to this. If our mouths were filled with song, like the sea, and our tongues were expressive of joy or song, like the, like the waves of the ocean. And our lips could give praise like the expanse of the heavens. And our eyes were light like the sun, etc., 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 like the moon. And our hands were spread like eagles' wings, eagles of the, of the sky, the heavens. And our feet were fleet as deer. In other words, if we had the total expanse of the universe at our disposal, if we were cosmic in our greatness, we, we, uh, then what could we do? speaking what, what We would not manage to, to, to uh, acknowledge Hashem, your greatness, not to praise you, to deal with or your name. How much? Listen to this. al achas elef alfe That's extreme. That means we wouldn't manage to do one, one thousandth of a hundred thousandth of a ten thousandth of a millionth of a billionth right, of what's due. Meaning, again, again, if we had unlimited power, right, we were stretched out like the expanse of the whole physical universe, and we try to relate to you, it wouldn't amount to a millionth of a billionth of a... Uh, uh, why? Because obviously, talking about a finite universe, dealing with an infinite creator, I mean, the comparison, it doesn't matter how big it is, it's irrelevant. Okay if you, <laughs> yes, no, Talking about infinity. In comparison to infinity, a very, very, very big world is nothing. So far so good, right? Okay So, here, so here's the expression. If we had the total expanse of the physical world at our command, we wouldn't manage anything significant, nothing at all, of the job of relating to you. So far, so good, right? Two lines later, Alcane therefore, a volumeumship Pilctor Bont, the limbs and organs that you've given us together with the soul that's within us, with the at the tongue you put in our mouths, all these very things we said before. they will do the job, they'll praise you and sing your praises. and yeah, you just said two lines before that you couldn't manage. Did you see the logical contradiction? You say it like this, if I had the whole universe at my disposal, if I was large as the world, I wouldn't manage the tiniest fraction of anything relevant in dealing with you. Therefore, alkane, therefore, these finite resources that you've given me, these organs, tongue, etc., will do the job. And you just said two lines. Are you, do you hear the problem? Do you hear the contradiction? In the first half of this very elegant poem, you say that all the physicality would be nothing. And then you say, therefore, alkane, that means therefore, this inadequate physicality will do the job. Well, what's going on? there are a number of answers there are a number of answers to this I mean they, one classic answer that's been given one of the greats of the last generation is that that in fact is the Jewish approach to life the Jewish approach is we first understand the impossibility of the job and then we do it anyway that, that's what a Jew is the great the ultra-Nevotic used to say ask not if a job is possible ask only if it's necessary that's the Jewish approach you don't ask if you start asking what's possible you'll never get anything done forget about what's possible ask only if it's necessary if it's necessary do it whether it's possible or impossible is irrelevant. It's a beautiful answer. It's a very Jewish answer. But I, I want to show, I want to de- demonstrate something different thing. And that's this. This prayer of Nishmas, right? The soul of everything that lives. You know what it is? The deeper sources say that this is the prayer of the Nishama Yaseira. Neshama, Nishmat Kolchai, the soul of all that lives. You know on Shabbos you have a Neshama The Neshama Yaseira means an extra soul. An extra soul. The common misconception is like you get a double soul, right? And that's why you should eat more, you know, on Shabbos. But right? it's got nothing to do with becoming schizoid. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with that. The Shama doesn't mean you get another soul, it means you get more Neshama. The Shama means extra, more Neshama. There's a deeper infusion of Kedusha, of Neshama, of spirituality into you on Shabbos. Incidentally, that's why you have to say this on Shabbos. Because this is the tefillah of the Neshama Yoserah. This is the Tfilah, the prayer of the extra dimension of neshama that you get on Shabbos. What does this extra dimension of, of shamah mean? It means that you should eat more. You know why? Because eating during the week is a physical thing. Eating on Shabbos is invested with the Kedusha. Neshama yisera means that more Kedusha goes down into the body. Not more Kedusha hangs up, you know, floats, levitates in the air. The essence of a Jew is that Kedusha goes into the body. We don't become celibates and ascetics and transcend the body, like many other systems, in order to reach spirituality. We don't do that. In order to reach a a, a tremendous transcendence, we engage physicality. We get married, we drink wine, we engage the world. The Gemara says you'll be held accountable for every physical pleasure that you didn't experience. Yeah, this is a system of transcendence, right? You want to become spiritual, the Gemara says you'll be held accountable for every... Do you know what? There's even a section in the Talmud that discusses how you can experience every illicit and forbidden sensual pleasure in a valid way. The whole discussion. You want to taste blood? Blood is forbidden, right? Can't eat blood as a Jew. You want to taste blood? There's a way you can do it. By preparing liver in a correct way, you can taste blood. You want to taste meat and milk? You want to taste meat and milk? There's a way you can taste it. Cooking meat and milk together. Forbidden. There's a way you can do it. If you prepare the udder of a cow correctly, you can eat it in a taste the Gemara goes through and examines and a lot of sensuous forbidden pleasures the Gomorrah finds a kosher way of experiencing what is this? this is a spiritual thing? because the essence of being Jewish is to elevate that vehicle of physicality to float above it is not a problem but it's to descend into it and elevate it is a big problem and that's a Jewish pathway it's easy to be spiritual if you live in a cave in a sack celibate and ascetic without any alcohol it's easy. But descending into physicality... On Shabbos is the time when you can descend more. That means, there's an Ashama Yoseira, there's an extra Kedusha engaging the physicality. And therefore, it doesn't bring the, the spirit down, it brings the body up. And therefore, during, under normal circumstances, if you had the whole physical universe at your disposal, all these organs and lives in your body, you couldn't relate to infinity. But on Shabbos... When that physical reality is infused with the transcendence, then you can do the job. Shabbos is a different thing. Shabbos is a day of clarification. It's the essence, and that's why it's essential to being a Jew. It's the first step, one of the first steps a person needs to take in development as a spiritual being in Torah. Shabbos. What do you have to do on Shabbos? (laughs) Nothing. You have to stop. The creativity that demonstrates mastery over the world, right? Construction and creation and mastery. On Shabbos, you stop there because this is destination. You can't travel. <laughs> you can't travel and be at a destination. By definition, if you're traveling, you're not at the destination. You're going someplace unless you're walking around in circles, like most people are. But if you if you if you genuinely have arrived at destination, the definition of arrival at destination is that journey st- journey stops. That is the definition of destination. And that's the world. That's how the world works. Some sources say that's why you have a right and a left hand. Why is the human body constructed with a dominant and, an, and, a, and a secondary side? Why do you have dominant and... and why, are you, why are you built that way? Because there's a message even in the body that there's a, there's a skilled and there's a helper. If you're right-handed, for example, and use your left hand to help, you do a very skilled job. Right? If you're a brain surgeon and you operate with your right hand, your left assist, you marvelous. If you try... Let's say you get a little bored one day. And you try your next, uh, you know, cerebral aneurysm, you know, to... to <coughs> you're repaired with your left hand for fun, you know, with your right hand. You know, you, you'll be in trouble. The patient won't complain, that's, that's for sure. But, uh, but, um, <laughs> but you'll be in trouble. When, when that which is supposed to be secondary takes over and demands its primary role, the whole thing gets perverted. It fails, and the primary disappears. The skill of being a spiritual being uh, is not to snap out of physicality, is to define them correctly so that the physical world becomes the vehicle for spirituality. That's what Shabbos teaches. And therefore, hopefully what we what we studied this evening was the beginning of an approach to the centrality of Shabbos. In the Ten Commandments, that's one itself one of the expressions of essence. It is the What's the tool? What's the tool for doing this? What does the God mean? Let's finish with this. What does the God of Yomam mean? That it was prepared on Friday. What does he mean? That, the, that this distinction, right? this, the, the creation of Shabbos was prepared on Friday. What does he mean, Ere Shabbos? You know what is prepared on Erev Shabbos? The human being. Dice, intellect, intelligence. That means a spiritual potential, an ability to grasp. Because Iker and Tata live only in consciousness. The concept, if you're a mindless being, you can't tell the difference between the passenger and the vehicle, the driver and the vehicle. They're just two things moving together. Yeah, when an animal sees, or a machine notes, a vehicle with, a, with, a, with an occupant, then there's no concept of ikar and Toffle. You need to be human for that. When you're a human being, yeah, a soul, a being, a consciousness inhabiting a body, there's no natural demonstration of which is primary. Not at all. On the contrary. If you take an evolutionary point of view and you say that we are just advanced gorillas, on the contrary, they explain exactly that. That all your mind is nothing other than instincts that serve the survival of your body. That's all. That's what they teach. They teach that out there. They teach that in academic institutions. That you are your biological reality. And your mind is only a part of that, like all the other parts, not more significant. Even as a human, so you have a more sophisticated notion and you have a language and you have concepts. But essentially, it's just an accidental evolutionary development that is, in essence, no different than a gorilla's instincts. (coughs) What in a gorilla is of essence? His body or his instincts? Neither. You could argue either way. So, in a human being, which is of essence? Well, probably the body. It feels good. You know, it's what you see. What is the soul inside? Well, it keeps it going. So, they take the soul. They take the ability to transcend. And they lock it into the animalistic... Well, and then by definition, both fail. Only that which was created on Friday, that's you, me, human dais, the ability to discern. You know, the word ha racha in Hebrew, which means to evaluate, to appreciate, is the same letters as hachra'a, which means to discern and cut. The dais machras, it takes dais, it takes inner, it takes being human. It's not something that can be taught, it's not available in the book. It has to be found in a primary source, which is the Nesham itself. The notion that you, your inner being, is primary, your body secondary, is a vehicle, you have to find that within yourself. You can't demonstrate, there's no objective demonstration on that. On the contrary, the objective demonstration is probably of the opposite. So you have to begin on Friday, you have to be human. To be human, you have to have a diet. Diet means you have to weigh things up and understand. There's good evidence. If you examine, you have to look beneath the surface and penetrate beneath the skin. But that's the message. And therefore, and therefore, in summary, the ten sayings of creation are only the vessel. They're only the laws of the environment, the framework, if you like, that are there waiting for that day when Torah will be given. It'll be put into the framework and animated, just like a body is waiting for that infusion of breath of a soul, which brings it to life, which is the purpose of its... Life. And of course, what we're looking for is to develop into the kinds of people who will be not only... Aware that the body is not primary right? and that the soul is primary. But we're looking to be the kinds of beings, the kinds of spiritual beings, who are living in such harmony with the environment and with each other. And internally, the soul should live with the body in such a way not that it lives in harmony without conflict, but that that very physicality, which is the problem, becomes the part of the solution. Okay.